Welcome. Hi, I'm Mickey, and this is Wikipedia, where I sit down and chat to doctors, professors, athletes, practitioners, and experts in their fields related to health, nutrition, fitness, and well-being. And I'm delighted that you're here. Hey everyone, this week on the podcast, I had the opportunity to grab an interview with Dr. Dan Plews, who is a show favourite, he's been on Wikipedia a few times now, uh, and also he's the coach of the freshly crowned Kona World Champion, Chelsea Sodaro, and she took top spot at Kona a couple of weeks ago as the first rookie to win Kona on her first try uh, since 2007 when Chrissy Wellington did it and also the first American to do it in over a quarter of a century. You will be well familiar with the fact that Dan Plews is the age group record holder so he did 8.24 back there in 2018 and he's very familiar with Kona as an event and so Dan and I discuss how he trained Chelsea, uh, what were the things that they really focused on, were there anything sex specific that he did uh, to prepare her? We talked about the training metrics that they use, the importance of mindset, whether he takes care of everything or brings in other people. We really talked about it all. And we also discussed you know, where he sees other coaches or other athletes might go wrong in their training from his perspective. It was such a great conversation. Uh, we of course kick off with really important topics based around the fact that Dan did just turn 40. So he is no longer 35, amazing. And because in my head, he's just been 35 forever. And a little bit on protein and his uh, funky trunkies before getting into the nuts and bolts of the episode. So those of you who are unfamiliar with Dan or you haven't heard any of his previous episodes, we'll pop links to those in the show notes. But Dan is an applied sports scientist, researcher, coach, and he has been a former competitive triathlete as well. Uh, he hasn't quite retired yet. He's actually got a comeback coming, gently though. As an applied sports scientist, Dan has worked closely with athletes who have won more than 25 world and Olympic titles in sports, including rowing, kayak and triathlon. And he was also part of rowing New Zealand's preparations for both the 2012 and 2016 in the Olympic Games as a sport scientist. As a researcher, Dan has a PhD in exercise physiology with a particular interest in heart rate variability and over 30 peer-reviewed publications to his name. As a coach, Dan has coached three professional Ironman triathletes to sub-eight-hour times, including Terenzo Bizzoni, Jan Van Berkel and Tim Van Berkel, and of course, now is coach to Chelsea Sodaro, who is our Hawaii Ironman champion. Dan recently founded EnduroIQ.com, which is an online learning hub for anyone interested in optimal long course triathlon performance. Dan can be found at enduroiq.com slash about hyphen us but also uh, head over to Instagram at the Plues. He's very active over on social media. So before we kick on into this 
episode, I'd just like to remind you the best way for you to support the podcast is to hit like and subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. Apple, Spotify, uh, wherever it is that you listen to us because that way people are much more aware of Wikipedia in this very big podcast space and they get the opportunity to hear from experts like Dan uh, where they otherwise would not. So um, please do that, that would be amazing. All right, team, for now, though, please enjoy this conversation that I have with Dr. Dan Plews. It, it actually um, it comes out at a, uh, a better recording than, than what you see. So, so oh. it might unblur or something. I don't know. I don't know. Well, people probably don't want to see my, me in full vision anyway, so... I look better. I actually look better. It's my better side is the blurred side. (laughs) I would have thought so. So happy birthday for yesterday. Well, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm catching you up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's interesting um, you say that because, of course, you, I don't know where I saw a picture of you 10 years ago and you Mm. had your bleach blonde hair and your, uh, I can't remember what those glasses are called. but Racing jackets. The race. Yeah, yeah, but your little chubby face. Yeah, well, I was probably your little carbo face. <laughs> Do you know what though? You, you, you. I think you want to have a chubby face when you're younger. I was always, I always had very chubby cheeks when I was younger. Like, and it yeah. used to really annoy me because, like, you know, like, you know, grandparents <laughs> and aunties would always grab your cheeks and go, "Well, haven't you got lovely chubby cheeks?" And I'm like, "Ugh, leave me alone." But. uh <laughs> I reckon having a bit more fat on your face when you're younger gives you more of a youthful, makes you a bit more youthful when you grow when you're growing older, right? A bit more, a bit more fat around the old, um, around the cheeks, around the chops. No, I hear you actually, because of course, um, as you get older, you get look, you look a little bit more gaunt in your sort of endurance athleticism, and some people don't think it looks good. No, no, no. Well, no. Um, anyway, it's about keeping the keeping the baby face, as they say. But yeah, yeah, exactly. So I had a good day yesterday. Didn't do. I just did. Um, my wife spoiled me, so it was. Uh, yeah, it was epic. Oh, lovely! Yeah. Now you made a big cake. Was did you make it for yourself? The the Olaf cake. Yeah. Unfortunately, not. Well, that was for Bella. Oh. Took me. <laughs> took me forever. It was a mission. I mean. I was like, I just committed to it, and I was like, right, I'm going to make your cake this year, Bella. And she's like, I'm like, what do you want? What do you want for your birthday? What cake do you want? She went, I want an Olaf cake. So I was like, so I looked um, looked online, and that was what I and it was like I had to full on sculpt it. Like the head was made out of Rice Krispies and marshmallows, and I made the cake, which was five cakes, and I and I molded it and sculpted it. It took me. It took me forever to do it took me literally about a day's work really you know i i so her birthday was on saturday i made the i made the cakes on thursday and then i yeah. sculpted it all on friday and made it and then but i was up until like 11 at night doing this so it was so impressive dan and thankfully though you have a lot of experience in endurance and putting your mind to something and not quitting yeah. and committing and all of that discipline and stuff like that. No, I, don't, so, I don't think, I don't think it's going to be an every year thing. I'm like, Jake's going to probably get it when he turns five and then Bella might get it. I'm, I think I'm just going to do it like every five years. You know? <laughs> When's Kate's birthday, by the way? 20, so she's 22nd of December. 
But, okay, um, good. So that's too, that's too, I haven't recovered. I mean, it's like anything, right? You don't do too many Ironmans back to back. I can't be doing. It's the recovery time between this cake and Kate's birthday is too short, so I'm not going to enter that competition. <laughs> I'm not sorry, Kate. You're not getting a cake. I might buy it. I'll definitely buy a cake, but I'm not. I'm, not, I'm definitely not making that one. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of uh, Ironman, you are, of course, the coach of the world Ironman champion, Chelsea Sodaro. Yes, I am. Yeah. You First were there American watching. And a of you yes. Oh, my God. It was mm. so great. I, I kept sending you. Clearly, you were watching it, but I just was yeah. like, oh, my God, Dan, Chelsea's looking good. Chelsea's looking yeah. good. And then Chelsea falls off the tracker and we're like, Oh my God, what happened to Chelsea? But thankfully it was yeah. just a, a tracker blip. Um, she looked amazing. Miles, heart attack. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was um no, it was so good and it's been um it's been pretty awesome since. And um yeah, I mean, uh I always I just it's one of those things that you know, you always want to happen, but you never I mean but the odds of you being the coach of a world champion are pretty low. <laughs> so yeah. um, what um, what were your expectations for the race, Dan? Like, I mean, obviously you've got the absolute pinnacle, which is actually what happened. But yeah. going in there last couple of weeks, what were your thoughts around it? I knew she was in amazing shape. And you, sorry, let me sorry, let me just turn off this. Ah, oh, Green, your, actually, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, Green's messaging oh. me. Give it, a, give it a rest, buddy. It's probably because he he blew up the internet the other day by saying he had X amount of protein in a smoothie and someone was like, you can't digest more than 30 grams out out to lunch. People don't understand understand protein metabolism. That's what that is. Yeah, well, I mean, and also, oh, look, how do I turn this off, everyone? Come on, give me a break. You put your do not disturb on, Dan. Yeah, I'm going to do that now. Yeah. (laughs) Now, well, what happened was I was around at his yesterday and um and we had a sauna and a nice bath and we're both fellow funky trunk lovers and I left my funky trunks there and he's so it's just abusing me for leaving my funky trunks there at the moment which is the messages that are coming through <laughs> well actually he abused me I abused him back and now I'm getting and now he's coming back to me so <laughs> he's he's well he's younger he's got more stamina and in, in, in everything probably so that's probably why you're getting a whole lot more and you're probably like oh, I'm over it mate but I'm um, over it now yeah yeah well we did decide yesterday that we look the same age so <laughs> and uh that's probably doesn't say much that's probably not a good thing for art is it <laughs> no i was just i was so young what do you oh, mean oh that's what that is that's what right. it is that's what it is yeah, yeah. um but yeah, yeah he, he the, we try we, we got completely gone completely off topic but the man does love a bit of protein in his smoothie oh he does but you know what like he's um he's put on some good size from it he reckons Hell it's yes. the, the um the key so well yeah totally well that's what size you know, obviously resistance training plays a big role in that, but you can't do that if you don't have the raw material yeah. to be able to get muscle. And he said yeah. that to me on our podcast as well, is that one thing he focused on was ramping up the protein. Um, and just yeah. for people who um, might have misunderstood my um, comment about people not understanding protein metabolism, I think I don't think that's art. I think it's everyone else who listens to things on social yeah, media. Yeah. That and, everyone, say, I know, and, everyone, and everyone who listens to the, the junk about protein being bad for you and it's going to kill you and, and you oh, know, yeah. it's going to give you cancer and whatnot. It's like, oh, yeah. No, I know. Actually, there is one going around at the minute that isn't about, and we will get back to Chelsea, obviously, but um, yeah. people, many people have sent it to me and it's it's actually from a company and they might be called 
pure essentials or something like that. And it's an essential amino acid powder. And their premise is that whey protein is going to kill you, that it doesn't digest properly, that it causes all of these issues. And uh, and it's a highly processed food. So have our essential amino acids. But like it is complete bollocks actually but it mm. is crazy the number of people that buy into it and i know i know and and i always um those things really frustrate me and you'll be exactly the same because you know when when some kind of article or something comes out you suddenly get a lot of extra work because suddenly people are emailing you it all the time it's like oh yeah. have you seen this have you seen this have you seen this? there's yeah. something that's like contrary to your view if people know you have a strong view in a certain area um, yeah. And then, you know, they'll as soon as something that's opposing to that view, people send you it. No one, yeah. but no one will ever. No, you know. And then it's like then you have to kind of go get back to them and defend it. And then it's like, but then half the oh. time I just um, I just let it go. But but it, it's actually a lot of extra work when something like that comes out, right? Oh, it totally so, is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, Chelsea. Um, yeah. So I mean, when just to get back to it, we I knew she was in very good shape. Um, Especially running, yes. she done. She went to she went to Kona and she did um she did a camp there. So the plan was that we um, basically she um, she went and did um, Collins Cup. She had a terrible race there, and then she was going to spend a bit of time at home. Go out to Kona, do a bit of heat acclimation, go back to Davis, California, because where she lives in um at home in Reno is at one thousand eight hundred meters of altitude. I think it's about that. Um, so. I didn't want her to go and double down on like do heat altitude. So we I made we made the decision that she'd stay in Davis at you know more closer to sea level. And um then she went from there and then she went back to Kona again. And during that period, like before before she went to Kona, she got sick, but she the first few days were a bit rough when she got to Kona, but then she put in a really good block. And then when she got home, the next block she did was even better. So you know, I was seeing, I was saying a lot of sessions and there was a lot of, a lot of complaints here and there, like, I can't do this, I can't do that. But, you know, she kept doing it and, um, and surprising herself, you know, and I mean, it didn't, didn't surprise me at the time because I, otherwise I wouldn't have set the session. I, I thought she was more than capable of doing it. Um, so I knew she was in very, very good running shape. And we talked, I mean, this was like months and months before the event. We talked about how, you know, Kona was the main goal and how we were going to, kind of attack that race and you know and um as they say in Kona the old adage that is you um cycle for show and run for dough and so we were always banking on her doing a very putting together a very good marathon performance because I thought you know if she has a good marathon performance she could definitely run onto the podium so that's where we we're putting all the race in that so everything was around you know relaxed swim control everything on the bike follow your numbers and then put in a good marathon um so with, and with that, I, I was pretty convinced she'd get a she could get a top three, um, but then on the day you you don't know what that power is going to give you, right? So I knew that she could hold a certain amount of watts, um, but you don't know where that's actually going to put you. And she she did, you know, she went felt went with the plan. She held the correct watts, and then she got off the bike. Like, I think it was less than four minutes behind Lucy and Daniela. And as soon as that was there, I, I, I then thought there was a very strong chance of her winning because I knew I had a good feeling that she would run between a 250 and a 255 marathon. Um, and that's what I told her. We'd planned that. We'd, we'd talked about aims for every single 10K of the marathon, you know, this, you know, aim for this 10K going out a little bit harder. Um, 
And yeah, so when she got off the bike, I, I thought um, I knew it would go because, I mean, you never know, but I thought it was very likely because I knew that Daniela or Lucy were never going to, on the very best of days, they're going to run around three hours, right? And and I felt Chelsea was going to run closer to 250. And when yeah. it was only, a, you know, when it was less than five minutes, I was like, okay, we, we could be on the money. But you just, you know, it's Kona, you just don't know. And it was a second ever Ironman. She could have blown. She could have you know, got cramped. Anything can happen, right? So I was never. I was. I was a nervous wreck for like that eight hours and thirty three minutes. Well, actually, I kind of ignored it for a long time because I find it really difficult to watch. And I didn't watch until. Um, I didn't really watch until she got off the bike. I was kind of following, but not really watched that there watching. I was trying to keep myself occupied because it's. I find it quite stressful, you know. I was, yeah. <laughs> you know, I got yeah. up. I went swimming. I had to, I did some work. I had to take my kids to a daycare and um, a new daycare to look at. So, um, you know, and I was trying, I had my phone off. I was trying not to get disturbed during that yeah, period. Yeah. I, was looking around, I was looking around a daycare for my children. So I had to be pretty present at the time. So I couldn't really be checked. Sorry. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. And then, um, so, but I, I think when I really celebrated was when she took that right turn to run down Polani. You know, I knew it was, um, I knew it was on, you know, I knew that was, I knew that was a done deal then. So, yeah, brilliant. So a, a couple of things, Dan. Um, first of all, you mentioned that you said to Chelsea, run out a bit harder. So she had certain sort of goals for each 10K of the marathon. So did she not just try and keep it steady the entire way? Was it like, did no, she break but, but, the fundamental laws of running? No, well, in a in a in a marathon in Kona, especially, we actually me and Thorsten Radu wrote an article on this, and we analysed um, we analysed like good run pacing in Kona, and the best run pacing in Kona is actually to set out a little bit harder um, because you will always slow down the back end of a marathon, so you can give you you can give yourself a little bit at the start, but just not too much. You know, it has to be the right amount, particularly in the heat. And um, what we found in this article is it's really you want to go about one percent quicker. Um, than your target so if you're planning to run a three hours you want to run the you know that's what 415 so you want to run about one percent quicker than 415s for the first like the first 10k ish yeah yeah um, she so she ran um she ran out in she ran, i think she ran the first k in like a way too fast like a 340 or something like that but her first um 10k was in 351s and that, i think that's public knowledge and that's um and that's our target was three fifty five, so she did run a little bit quicker, but um, you know that's all right. Yeah, Close clearly enough, it was all I right. Guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Close um, enough. and the other thing you mentioned was, of course, the watts on the bike, and you knew what she was capable of, but of course, you didn't know where that would put her with regards to the women's mm. field. But like when you were when she was in her training cycle, were you like how do you account for? heat with regard in how she responds in the heat or is it because she spent that time in Kona in that training camp in Kona so you felt like you had a good gauge on what she could do there yeah so so we we um basically you know she she's done two Ironman and the target pace the target power um for the Ironman in in Kona was the same as in Hamburg um but she was a lot fitter for Kona but but like the heat and everything else we you know, we 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 made it the same. So you do. We did back off the power. I mean, if it was a temperate, I think she could have done a little bit more power. But you know, playing it a bit more safe with the heat. Um, but I mean, everybody will go slower in the heat, no matter how acclimatized you are. It's just how much 
and um, she and Chelsea's wasn't very much. She was very close because of the acclimation. So I mean, I think like the heat, like the, the research is clear. Heat acclimation can improve performance by fifteen percent, and that's not like that. And that's from being um, doing racing in the heat, um, acclimatized and not acclimatized. So if you do no heat acclimation or you do heat acclimation, you could be you know fifteen percent better, but you'll still be a little bit worse. It's just how close. How close can you get to your your temperate performance? You know the yeah. way you perform in temperate conditions. Yeah, yeah. And Dan, do you put sort of sauna work up there with regards to so for people who are unable to travel to a place to do training, would you have utilised sauna for Chelsea? Yeah, yeah, we do, we do. I mean, particularly like so the I, I don't really want to give too much away about the exact protocol, but there's like you know we. You go out there, you do things in. You go out there, get some heat acclimation. You come. She, then, then Chelsea went back to Davis. There was a period of time where she we were using forms of heat acclimation that was more passive um, to keep things topped up. You know, mm, yeah, um, yeah. But there's also this, I always I've talked about on a few podcasts now is this idea of the plasticity of response and and the plasticity of response. It refers to so many. It's very very apparent and it's across many many things it's like even in training if you know someone who's done a lot of training in their life when they start training again they get fit really quick you know they're, they're just very plastic to that kind of the stress the stress response stimulus and it's the same at altitude if you do it the best the best way to know you're a positive to be a positive responder to altitude is repeated stimulus so the more you give the stimulus the more you're likely to um, adapt positively and quicker and it's the same in the heat. The more you give yourself a heat exposure, the more you will adapt positively to the heat and you will do so quicker. So um, that's kind of the uh, approach that, that we took. And even with, with Javier, like Javier Gomez, who I also coach, who's um, people who don't know, he's, he's a not, bad, not a bad triathlete. Before we were, uh, before St. George, you know, we were doing repeated altitude exposures. So it's the same concept, but it's just different environments. You know, you're just using different environments to achieve different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, super interesting. So when you, and I'm just always really interested to know what the approach is. So as a coach, do you just focus on what Chelsea can do? Or do you also study other athletes and yeah. and base some of what your decisions are based on what you think that the athlete's going to do? No, I don't really base it. We don't, we seldom talk about athletes how they ever really because I yeah I mean I just don't think it's I just don't think it has any real impact um and it has any effect. I mean I mean my my method of coaching is I have this kind of work backwards approach where I'll I'll look at the women's I'll look at what people have done in the past like winners have done in the past and I'll I'll try and get an idea of what I think you know, they've hold in terms of what's per kilo you know what that would mean in terms of coefficient of drag. So how aero they are for that kind of speed. And I say, oh, you know, so, you know, I try and work out what Daniela Reef is, you know, so she's probably holding around 240 watts, which is the X watts per kilo. And I'll try and just get a rough idea to base the training around like what it takes to compete. Um, I mean, it's, it's that that's, and then, then I'll build the training program backwards from there. So, you know, I know what, I know what we're trying to t target for. I can, kind of then do a more of a gradual build and a bit of a targeted approach to to that. Yeah, so it's really starting with the end, end in mind, but it's more based around values and data and physiology than than what the what the other athletes are going to do. I mean I mean the only time we talk about 
athletes per se is like in our pre-race briefing, I just, I always ask my athletes to say, I say, okay, I ask for three scenarios of, of the day. I say, you know, give me, give me the worst case scenario. Give me the likely case scenario and the best case scenario. And usually within those conversations, there is talk of other athletes, you know, worst case scenario, I'm out with this athlete, best case scenario, I'm out in this group. You know, and if, and if I'm in the, if I'm with the worst athlete, if I'm in this, I'll do this. If I'm with the best case scenario, I'll do this. You know, so we just try and, because I think it's dangerous if you have a race plan as well. You know, you just have to talk about scenarios and how you're going to cope with them because then you're prepared for them rather than, because if you, if you d- deal with one scenario, people just become unfolded immediately when yeah. they, you know, yeah, when, yeah. when they come out of the swim and they're suddenly off their race pace, the, the, scenario that they've had in the head for the past year or whatever then they they come undone so totally and that's and a lot of that's so i mean that's all psychology right and i i i think about that with regards to in the ultra running space and nutrition you know i mean it's, it's completely unrelated but slightly it, it, yeah you know you need a plan a b and c for your nutrition because if you only have one plan with your nutrition and it doesn't go to plan then suddenly you lose your mind, you know, and you you exactly. lose your and, confidence. And, you know, it's brilliant that you bring that up because we did have an A and a B plan for Chelsea. And you know what? She lost all of her nutrition. All came off. Yeah, so she lost all of her calories. Far we out. had a plan B. Yeah. So, um, so she managed to get through. I mean, plan B in a good fat oxidation, you're winning. Yeah, Because yeah. She's, got, she's got a pretty good fat oxidation. You're, you, you're okay. But if you're if you've got a poor fat oxidation, you get in a and you've got not got a plan B, you're in a you're in a bit of pickle. And people's races come and done right; they just can't can't do anything anymore. So I mean, credit credit to her for that. Yeah, for sure. Dan, can we pivot then to uh, Chelsea's nutrition strategy? And I don't know how much of this you want to share or not, but how did you sort of go in thinking about it? Are you keen to give specifics? Like what? nutrition does she use yeah, actually I can, I can give some i can give some specifics around that um yeah so obviously you know we, we test her in the lab so i have a good uh, i have a solid idea of what her substrate uses uses are at different power outputs and um and whatnot um you know fat versus carbohydrate and you know i wrote a blog on it i think that right fuel right time blog i don't know if you've read that where i talked about um because we never really did a low carb approach with Chelsea, but we did do some specific macronutrient manipulation around exercise. I mean, it's funny that there's, there's been that um, podcar and that new that new review that was brought out that said, oh, there's not that much evidence for suggesting that periodizing carbohydrates is yeah. all it's cracked up to be. But like, um, yeah, I mean, I've had so much success with it and I've seen it in the data. So anyway, um but uh, I just think we're. I think I think we're not. I think there is evidence, and um, yeah, we we are. The, even even in the even in the article, they do say that it's still worth changing your carbohydrate around the training load, right, and the calorie requirements, which makes perfect sense. And you know, um, but anyway, but we so so, and we'd also tested a few situations, like you know, we'd gone up to like 90 grand, you know, because I knew what I, I thought, what, okay, this is kind of the minimum that I think you, you can get away with, but you know, do you want to try a bit more? So we did, we tried up to 90 grams an hour, but you know, Chelsea just hated it. She, she felt sick. It didn't, you know, she didn't like it. She didn't like the way it, she didn't like, she felt, she didn't, she could actually tolerate it like the, like in the stomach, in the gastrointestinally, but she just 
didn't enjoy eating that much during racing. You know, it was more of the like she felt disgusting to be eating that much food. Yeah, yeah. Um, and eating that much gel, so she didn't like it. Um so anyway, we did some testing and we we kind of settled on 60 grams per hour of a um of a pure more of a pure like carbohydrate multidextrin rather than a glucose fructose combination because you don't if you're at 60 grams per hour you don't really need to be mixing and I think fructose comes with its complications as well so if you can avoid it I think that's very positive um so so yeah I think we were aiming for that and then I think she actually got pretty close to that on race day like maybe 50 to 60 even with um even with her losing the calories yeah so yeah. that was good. And then we aimed um, from cycling, we aimed um, that she was going to drink between um, 750 to one liter an hour. Um, so we had some, we don't, I don't normally target fluid consumptions, but the aim in Kona or any hot race should be that you want to try and get onto the run as hydrated and as fueled as you possibly can. So that's, um, so we aim for a little bit more, a bit more in the um, the fluid as, as well. I mean, you can only absorb, um, you know, maybe 1.3 liters per hour anyway, really. So um, I think you're going to be in a bit of trouble. I was listening to this podcast with um, Sam Laidlow, and he was saying that he had 17 liters over the course of the Ironman. Wow. So that's... I don't believe... I, I find that hard to believe, to be honest. Mm, mm, that's significant. How, do you, how would you possibly absorb 17 liters? I've never heard of anyone. So that's that's more than two liters an hour. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. I mean, that, but then you know, everyone's different, right? Like, in terms of yeah, but most people can't absorb two liters. Oh, mm, oh maybe, maybe, or maybe he's wrong because that would have to be he. <laughs> he would have had to have gone through what three bottles an hour, a bottle every yeah. twenty minutes or something. Yeah, it just seems like I just uh, I've never heard of anyone being able to. Have, I've heard of like people at one point six liters an hour, like maximal gastrointestinal maximal gastrointestinal absorption rates but never up mm. in the twos um yeah but then interesting you say that dan because of course there was once a time where we thought you could only uh oxidize fat at a rate of one gram a minute and now yeah, now yeah. we understand that to be incorrect so maybe i don't know outliers <clears throat> yeah there's always outliers yeah, yeah for sure yeah and did with if if I go back to just what um uh just to the training piece a little bit, did you train Chelsea the way that you would have trained yourself, or did you take into consideration any sex specific recommendations, any any or anything like that? Um, I didn't train Chelsea the way I would train myself. Um, I mean, the training was a bit more specific around what what she needed. Um. I, I felt that she she needed a lot of um, strength endurance, and also she responded very well to high intensity. Like VO2. I found that if I can get some VO two max running in her, like she would really start running very well because her economy is so good. So if you can kind of, it seems I just was finding that that sort of thing would really bring the best out of her in a m many different ways. So probably a little bit more high intensity, a bit less tempo than what someone like I would do, but. Um, in terms of sex differences, no, I mean, yeah. it was just individualized. It was yeah, an yeah. individualized program for her, tracking HRV, tracking her training on a daily basis. And I mean, it was just, it was for her, regardless of whether she's male or female, it was a program that was designed just for her based on her responses. And I don't, I, that's why I think we've had this conversation before. I just don't, 
I don't buy the differences between males and females. Yes, there are some, but it doesn't outweigh the differences between individuals. So you, if you're tracking on an individual basis, yes, I did do things because she was female, but really I did things because she was Chelsea. Chelsea, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, that was that was the thing. She, I did things because she was Chelsea and she, Chelsea could have been a man and it would have been the same thing. You know, it just would have been different. Um, and that's, I mean, and that's the individualization, right? That's how you, that's how you do things properly. Yeah. And it's, and the science hasn't changed at all on that from the most recent, um, symposiums that have been, that have, yeah. that have gone ahead, yeah. like, you know, the information coming out is exactly what you've described with regards to nutrition and yeah. with sport. Yeah. Because there's massive differences between women, right? And there's massive differences between men and there's also differences between men and women, but. Are the, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Are the differences between men and women greater than the differences between individuals? You know, the individuals. Uh, I I don't think so, personally. Yeah, um, yeah. And from a science uh, perspective, we can't really say. Yeah. You mentioned yeah. HRV. What other sort of markers or um, metrics do you use, Dan, when you train Chelsea or your athletes? I have. Um, so we, I use a platform called Today's Plan. Um, so there's obviously there's a lot of data going into that, um, you know, and I'll, I'll track a lot of the performance data and I'll be looking at changes, you know, making sure things are moving in the right direction. One of the main things I look at is, um, submax heart rate. Cause that's so, so important for doing well in triathlon. I think, you know, looking at basically heart rates coming down at, um, a given speed over time, you know, things are getting easier. I think that's really important. And then there's continuous communication well always we're always talking and then um i also in today's plan the you can give feedback on you know give feedback on the session but also you can kind of there's a there's a scale that i find quite helpful which is it called the leg quality scale and the perceived recovery scale and the rp of the session so i often look at that to see you know she's given really really low perceived recovery before every session and I, you know i can I can use that alongside the HRV and the communication to to tweak things a little bit, but it's not, um, you know, it's not one thing is a silver bullet, right? It's it's lots of different things at the same time. I would never just rely on one metric to make a make a decision. I'd always pull a lot of them together to make make an informed decision on what what to where to move move the training, you know. Mm, mm. So. Yeah. Did you, um, you would have seen that link I sent you through a, eh, of the Rich Roll podcast with Gustav Eden. I did see that. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. Super interesting. Like they, and Rich is going to interview their coach probably for, for a bit more specifics as well, but they went into just so much detail about the training and, or more how they measure their training and the markers they use and the different wearables and, so yeah. um, their coach had them doing like doubly labelled water, actually, to... Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. Uh, Have you used anything you know like what? that, Dan? I can't afford it, to be honest. <laughs> Do you know how expensive that is? I mean, we've I've used it. We've done things in the lab. Like some of my PhD students have done it. We've done that in the lab for research, but never on an individual. Like it's um, it's very, very expensive to do that stuff. Very how, how much is it? I think like just one bottle of the water is like nearly two grand. Wow! Yeah, and then you have yeah. to, and then you actually have to um, uh, measure it, right, or analyze yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that some of the, yeah, it's interesting what the Norwegians are doing. I wonder how much of it's just bamboozling people, though. <laughs> you know, I think it's. I, I just wonder how if it's really. Yeah, I, I, I mean, 
it's very secretive. We don't. No one really knows what's going on there, right? So, yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. And they also talked about CGM and using it. And yeah. you know, did you ever use? Do you use that with your athletes? I know that you've been sort of beta testing, or you were last year beta testing Super Sapien and and stuff. Like, what are your what are your thoughts on it? Because I don't know that we've actually talked about it. Yeah, I've used it for. Um, I think it's really. I, I struggle for the application around training. You know. Yeah. Um, I think it's good for seeing what foods trigger you, but I'm still struggling with the application with it around um, around training. So, um, I, I just I just don't know. Um, well, I think we're getting we we get into this problem. Well, especially in the literature at the moment, and when you hear well, not even the literature; it's just even the the way people talk about things online. Like it seems to be like. Oh look! This person had 150 grams of carbs per hour on the bike, and it's like it's this competition to see who can consume the most sugar during racing, and it just it just baffles me. And I think like the CGM's kind of like in that space a little bit. It's like oh, let's see who can keep their blood glucose the highest during racing, but like why? I don't, why why try and achieve that? And like I think stable blood glucose during racing, okay for sure, you know, but. Um, I'm not convinced that they're really accurate enough to really get a good clutch and watch. I don't really, I don't, I don't fully trust the. I think it's good for at rest, but I don't fully trust the data during exercise at the moment. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It's a, and I often wonder what more it can tell you outside of what you already feel anyway. You know, like I yeah. can always tell if I'm dropping a little bit in blood sugar. Like it's yeah. – but maybe there are people who need that objective feedback because they don't recognize it as blood sugar drops. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's an interesting one. I think the – I think this could be, you know, looking at like with the right fuel, right time approach – I think there might. I think there'll be something in that is like using it to, um, using it to, like, t- be very targeted to the, the kind of type of adaptation or training that you're doing at the time. You know, ra- rather than just cramming a load of carbs in and having as high blood sugar as possible for every single type of session that you're doing. You know, you might think that you have more targeted ranges for different types of sessions. So, like, high intensity you might want to be a bit higher. Lower intensity you might want it a bit lower you know um you know I, I think there's i think there's a little bit in that but i don't think it's um there's so much learning to do in this space for sure yeah for sure do you test lactate much dan and how how useful would you find that uh no i don't test lactate very much i mean i i'm not with my athletes either and um so like um i mean we test it in the we test it in the lab um problem with lactate is is that it's very um well you have to be very good at taking it you have to be very have very clean data um because it's very um the errors can be massive if you don't have you know if you get contamination so you have to be very good at it and also it's it's very dependent on the environment so if you don't have good baseline levels of what you expect your expect your lactate to be in different heats and different humidities then you need a lot. You need a lot of data to know what it is like normally to then make com- compare and contrast. And it's also different between individuals. Like four millimol is not necessarily a threshold for everyone. You know, you have to be. You have to test in the lab, and then you have to know where that where your lactates lie at different thresholds. And then you have to know where your lactates lie in different thresholds in different environments as well. So um, I don't. I don't use it 
that much. I mean, I, I, I fully believe that there is a lot of benefit from having like an intrinsic measure of um, physiological stress. Um, but I, I tend to use heart rate for that rather than lactate, which is doing very similar thing, you know, looking at, um, and if I can, I'll take the lactate to kind of get a good gauge as well, you know, because um, I mean, there's, 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 um, there is negative points about heart rate. You know, you do get heart rate suppression on some days, which gives you a bit of a false, a false reading. But, um, you know, I think as long as you have a extrinsic measure, which is power and pace and intrin- intrinsic measure of internal physiology, could be lactate, can be heart rate. I think they're the two things you need. And whether you use heart rate or lactate, it's up to you. But um, heart rate's easy to use, better for the environment. <laughs> so not, you know, and um, and a lot less expensive. Yeah. So um, I think I think lactate's great for just understanding, um, making sure that the um, intensity is the intensity, particularly around threshold work, um, like VT1, VT2, because most people don't get that right. Um, you know, so you just just on the spot checking, you know, look at the heart rate, check the lactate, tweak the intensity, particularly in the heat as well. If you're training in the heat, you know, you can, you know, you you might want to you might want to you know things things shift quite a lot. Yeah, so. yeah, interesting. And I think probably people listening to this will probably be quite um, not relieved, but it, like the idea that you don't actually need more than a couple of measures to get good, accurate information for progress on a training and, and recovery. It's quite good because a lot of the things, as you say, are expensive and they're resource heavy in terms of time and availability and then, of course, mm. the environment. And, and it's hard to do it on yourself properly. It's all right if you have a coach with you who's who's there, who's not sweating themselves, who's clean and they can take a good sample. But most people try and do it on themselves, you know, and they've got a sweaty hand on a sweaty hand. They get, you know, they get contaminated samples and then, yeah. And it's not just about, it's all about lactates. It's about knowing the metabolism and knowing the metabolic response. So if you're, um, like if you're one, if you're training, like if, if you, so you might go in a training program, right. And you might be saying, okay, I'm going to do a threshold block in four weeks time. So before you do a threshold block, as a coach, you might say, right, to get my athlete in the best possible position to do this threshold block, I'm going to, I'm going to build up a bit of anaerobic capacity because it gives more space for them to do a good threshold block, you know, because we can move up the upper level, we can build up the anaerobic reserve, and then that gives a bit more leeway to do, to, um, to do more threshold work. So you might use lactates in the first instance to make sure that the lactates are high so if you're you mean you want to be t- if you're doing 30 second sprints for example you want lactates 15 and above that's ideal like 15 to 20 even that shows that you're having good anaerobic metabolism during during that but then um and if you've if you've got the recovery too short and you're not really getting a good anaerobic metabolism your lactates will be very high so it gives you a good idea of how you can change that session. So if that particular instant you go, okay, now I'm going to increase the recovery duration because I'm not really getting the correct anaerobic response that I want for this session. And then once you've done that and you know you've done good training, you can go into the threshold block and then you might be using the lactates to say, okay, my, I know that my from the lab testing, my lactate is around 3.5 at threshold. Um, I'm going to do it on power. Um, so you set off at like, 360 watts for example 
and then you do two three intervals and your lactate's at five and you're like ah okay that's not getting the response that i want i need to back off the power a little bit and you might then bring it dial it back back down a little bit to um to where it needs to be yeah okay but if you do that initial testing and lactate and power then you'll have a good idea of where that power would sit yeah exactly but it can change yeah. It, yeah, but it yeah. can change on the day on how you okay. feel on the environment yeah so yeah, yeah. that's um that's the that's the main thing and how well rested you are and all those sorts of things so it's it's it can be powerful for getting the right um making sure the stimulus is the stimulus yeah. Then Chelsea's had a history of like stress fractures. Um, did that change what you did with her at all with regards to training or or anything like that? Or of course she had stress fractures, and then of course she became a mum, so she would have had a period of time of not training. So what's that? Or you yeah, know, specifically. Um, well, we, when we we had early consultations with Chelsea, if you remember, and I think one of the outcomes of that was we went quite heavy on the protein. Um, wasn't it? Wasn't quite art level protein yeah. <laughs> well there's an improvement we were, to make for next time <laughs> yeah, yeah but we were like 30 30 protein quite high quite high in the protein i think that was one of our that was one of our reasons why right was we were trying to protect protect that side but i think um i think like the 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 softer shoes has made a big difference like using running in the carbon softer shoes quite a, a little bit more i think has helped uh, but then it's just the normal things is like not being too aggressive with the load. And even now I'm, I'm having to keep messaging in and say, are you, are you running? Are you running? Are you still running? Because I don't want her to stop doing anything because I just think it's important to keep moving and yeah. re- reduce the injury risk when, when, when she comes back. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. obviously with being a mom, I can imagine that the number of hours available for training must be lower than other people that you might work with yeah i wouldn't say so i don't think i mean we struggled for a long time to get the train to where we to where we wanted it to go um but it wasn't because of a time thing it was just because she wasn't recovering quickly enough and i think i think when you're when you're age groupers who are working and um mums and parents i think one of the main things is it's not necessarily the time it's just that you don't really get the same quality recovery between the sessions because you're on your feet, you're doing things, you know, you can't just do your training and sit with your normal tech boots watching Netflix. You know, you, you just can't do that. And that that has its, um, you know, that has its implications, you know. So I think um, that's the main thing is that we just have to be a bit more mindful around time between sessions. Um, and in the early days, this, we, we struggled to, you know, get as the amount of key sessions that I would have liked to have got in um, per week. You know, we really could only get two in. Whereas, you know, I, I kind of like to get three decent quality sessions in a week. Um, but it's just the recovery. It's the recovery that's the main thing, rather than the, t- the time issue. Yeah, and with recovery, obviously, you mentioned the Normatec boots, and obviously, again, the ability to just spend time laxing out in them. Anything else specifically that you do with your athletes, Dan? I mean, the main, the main things are, um, like good nutrition, you know, so I'm all, I always encourage them to eat well, eat properly, um, eat whole foods, you know, not, not too much sugar, not too much processed foods. Um, and obviously keep on top of calories is super, super important. But the main thing with recovery is it's all around training periodization. And I think that's the, 
you know, if you don't get that right, you may as well not bother with anything else because it's all to do with what you're doing in between the big sessions. You know, and with and with Chelsea, the main thing we had to focus on is time. How much time did she need between one one quality session and another quality session, and then what needed to happen between those two between in terms of the training to keep her, you know, to not lose fitness but also gain. Um, but also gain freshness. Yeah, you know, it's like that's that's what's that's where the magic happens. Is you, you if you can get those two pieces right, is that you do a quality session and then times in between you get fresher without losing fitness and you do it again. That that's that's kind of the the art of it and the the kind of the science and the skill behind it. Yeah. And do you work with other specialists, Dan, with regards to, you know, mindset, for example? Is that something that you might do with your athletes or do you leave it them to their own devices or do you bring in sports psychs or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, we de- I definitely talk to them about mindset, but it's not my area of expertise. And I think one of the things that, you know, I'm, we're, we're quite good at is I, I, I do not think I'm an expert in everything, right? And there's people who know way more than I do in so many things like yourself you for example you know we brought you in because you know way more about nutrition and than I do so you know getting help from you we brought in Paul Newsom from um who's founder of Swim Smooth from Swim Common we brought him in to help specifically with the swimming technique and he and he was a game changer he helped us massively um we had we had someone who helped with the aerodynamics and the position on the bike you know and I, I don't try and do all these things myself because there's people who are way better than me. And and if you can lean on them to help, um, because it's definitely a team effort, right? If you can lean on these people to help, then everyone wins, right? And I don't expect, I mean, I don't expect the, um, I don't expect the, like Paul or the aerodynamics guy to know what I know about lap testing and metabolism and training, right? I don't expect them to know those things, but um, I think it's important that everyone in your team is an expert in their areas, right? So... But also people have to admit when they that they're not an expert in everything as well. That's super important. And I think many coaches are terrible at that. They're terrible. They just think there's a bit of a God complex and they think they know everything about everything, you know? Mm. So Yeah. And actually my sort of final question was actually gonna be uh, what mistakes you see other coaches make or athletes make, you know. Uh and I from your perspective and I wonder whether that would actually be a big one the one that you've just sort of hit on yeah it is a massive one mm. it's a massive one it's um I think often egos get in the way in sport as well and um I think um think one of the main things is thinking you know, if you if you don't don't build a team around you and that's one thing that I've learned from being in Olympic programs, particularly, you know, women's kayak which I'm still involved in you know we've got such a team of experts and I and I look at I look at like Lisa Carrington, for example, and I look at the team around her and I'm like, wow, you know, she's got a real team of experts who are amazing. And our coach Gordon Walker is exceptional at knowing um, when to bring in experts at different things. And I think, and I look at that as an Olympic sport that I think is highly professional. And then I look at Ironman and I'm like, wow, there's the, that is not professional at all. But I try and as best I can, it's a different thing, right? I try and I try and emulate that kind of team around the athlete mentality as best I can in the Ironman in the Ironman sphere as well. Um, and I think that's you know if you if you're a one man band, you're only doing your athletes a disservice, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, no, good call. Um, and finally, Dan, like, are you taking athletes? Like, what's your what's 
what's have, have, has your inbox exploded and are you actually accepting athletes for coaching like what's sort of going on in your coaching realm yeah yeah i mean we've had a lot of um you know we had a lot of interest but people buying courses and wanting to be and one-on-one coaching we've also got the training squad which has been going really well um but i mean the training squad's always open we've had a lot of um a lot of people join there and we get real positive we had 25 athletes um in kona amazing um many of those were from the training squad i think it's like a lot of people a lot of athletes and i think we got like 10 i mean it's quite i mean it sounds like a small number but like 10 percent of our squad athletes are some figure like that we're in kona um so um so yeah i mean that's pretty impressive right I mean, so we, we do get good results so, so we're always taking people on with the squad um trying to grow that community and we're always trying to improve it um which is kind of like the you know it's like a less of a it's more of a community less one-on-one but we have like webinars and um and sessions and a community page where people can join and workouts programs rolling plans yeah um, based on southern hemisphere southern hemisphere um training phases and training plans and then yeah my one-on-one i've had a lot of requests since um chelsea but i haven't i'm just at the moment i'm kind of just interviewing people and trying to see because i can really probably only take on two or three you know so um yeah and then so i'm just kind of just seeing who i like and how it works and if it would be a good it's important that you get along right Totally. Yeah, a good fit. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I've got to say, it's almost every time I'm on Facebook, I see that Dan Plews is live in that squad. Like, that squad is great. It really does have that community feel. And so, you so, were in there quite a lot. Yeah. Well, well, what you're seeing, what you're, you're seeing, there's two separate things, actually, because what you see is the education community. So we have the, um, our four courses. Um, and we're just about to launch a coaching subscription, actually. So anyone who wants to be an Endure IQ coach, um you know be part of the actual coaching team and be an enjoy iq coach which offers a lot of opportunities for coaches because we have all the resources and also you just get more athletes like we've i've had some of my one of my coaches who joined us um he's been with us a couple of years now and when he, he increased his prices by more than 100 usd and we've given him like 24 athletes now so you know he's gone from gone from like into making good good money with his coaching company with his coaching because of the endorsement so so we're just about to launch that but um but apart but the reason one of the reasons behind the course is because my original thought was that i really wanted to have a coaching subscription and a coaching community and coaching team but i was never keen on just having randoms who weren't educated in the philosophy of endure iq so we got those courses but what you you see in the Facebook is the educational community. So that's for people who are doing the courses. And then on top of that, we have another community, which is the training squad community. So um, yeah, we have that one as well, which is which is kind of more people asking questions about their own training, whereas the other one is people asking questions on on the, the education. Material. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. see. Awesome, Dan. And then what else? And what about you? What's new? Obviously, you're still, I mean, it's only been a couple of weeks since Kona. Like, what's on the horizon for you in the next three to six months? I'm doing Ironman New Zealand in December. <gasps> Are you? Yeah, yeah. How's the training? Um, it's going to be a very short but acute build. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember, do you remember, like, 
I, I want to say seven years ago, Ben Greenfield did a four-week lead-up to Kona Ironman. Oh, did he? Yeah. Well, if Ben Greenfield bombed. can do that, I'm sure I can do it. <gasps> I'm sure. Twice the, twice the talent. Yeah. Um, no, so so I actually entered the day before. The, like, I was sat there the night before. Um, night before I did. Uh, night before I turned forty. Yeah. Yeah. So did I did you? it on like, and I was like, oh, you know, and I, and I kind of just, I think it. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to be. I just want to do it because it's just something to. I kind of want to keep in touch with what it feels like to do an Ironman as well. I haven't done one since 2018, and I feel like. I'm talking about it all the time, but I've not done one in ages now. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of want to keep in touch with that side of things, feel it, do it. Um, it'll be interesting to see how fit I can get in two months, you know. I'm certainly not going to um, – I don't think I'm going to be breaking any records, but um, it'll be an interesting experiment to see how see how, how we go over that. So there's that. And then the other is, um, yeah, I mean, I've got um, Javier's here at the moment in New Zealand, so I was spending a bit of time with him. but. I think like my big, big, big plans for 2023 with Javi and Chelsea and um, hopefully, you know, the ideal is that we get some great results in Kona with both of them at the same time. That's kind of the big project. Um, so, um, yeah, and apart from that, we just continue to grow the, grow the business, you know. That's awesome, Dan. And I, what I love about what you do is that you, you sort of hit almost every area of that sort of triathlon space. So you've got your age groupers, you've got the squad, you've got your elites, but you're also out there educating other people to do it, you know, in a different way as well. And you're so based in science and you're not beholden to emotion when it comes to the way things should be done. You know, you're quite clinical in how you approach things. And I always appreciate that about you. And, you know, you're right. Yeah, well, thanks very much. I think I think one of you know one of the things is that you know you said what 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 makes a good and a bad coach. I think you know I always try and admit when I'm wrong. You know, like I think that's an important thing as well. Is you don't get stuck in your own ways and don't get stuck in your own theories and and beliefs. And I think um, that's one thing that you know we definitely taught like Paul Paul Lawson, who's obviously been on your show. You know, one of the things that he taught me. PhD supervisor was he was always never be afraid of changing your views and admitting when you're wrong when it comes to and I think that's um that's really important when it comes to coaching and science yeah so yeah for sure mm. all right Dan well um thanks so much now remind people where they can find you um yeah well I'm pretty active on the Instagram and um pretty active on there not massively active not as active as some but I'm pretty active <laughs> um uh and then yeah you can follow um sign up to the brew up as well our newsletter so you can just go on to enjoyiq.com and sign up there and we give the um a bi-weekly newsletter there and um yeah they're probably the two best ways to to find us yeah awesome thanks dan will you um get back to enjoying the day after your 40th birthday and probably some of that cake i'm sure there must be some of that five layer cake left that you made no, well, we we had we gave so much of it away actually. <laughs> so, yeah, and you you're still in the US, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm still in LA, about to head to Hawaii in a couple of days for oh. meeting meeting Barry for five days holiday. Tough gig, eh? Tough gig. I know this is the thing. This is the uh, the working for yourself thing. The being able to work remote thing. Yeah, exactly. It's a choice. All right, Mickey. Cool. Until next time. See you later.
right, hopefully you enjoyed that. It's exciting to hear that Dan is making a sort of comeback to Ironman New Zealand in December. Um, it's always good as an athlete to have a goal and I think that's really what Dan was hoping for by signing on the dotted line for that. And regardless of sort of where he's at right now with regards to his competitiveness, I think it would be great just to see him back out there. So really looking forward to that. And next week on the podcast, we do speak to Dr. Michael Twineman. So that is still on the agenda. We just pushed it back a week because I was able to get Dan and just to have a wee chat about Chelsea. Until then though, next week, please don't forget about that webinar. Links in the show notes. You can catch me over on Facebook at Mickey Willardin Nutrition over on Instagram and Twitter at Mickey Willardin or head to my website mickeywillardin.com where you can book a one-on-one consult with me, sign up to one of my meal plans, put your name on the waitlist for Monday's Matter which is coming to be open again and just as a good way to connect. All right team, you have a great week and talk to you next week. Bye.